0: Will you please make your way with me in your Bibles this morning to the 13th chapter of the Gospel According to Matthew. We are going to be looking together at verses 44 through 51. Matthew 13, 44 through 51. And you can find that passage beginning on page 950 in your pew Bibles. It's been a couple of years, but a couple of years ago, I preached through a series on the parables from both the gospel according to Matthew and the gospel according to Luke. And in light of where we've been in Mark and the focus of Jesus's ministry, primarily teaching through parables, I thought it might be good to just sort of pause here before we begin to venture into chapter eight of Mark. We are now at the halfway point in our look together at Mark. And consider just a couple of those parables this morning. And one of the things that I think we will see in looking at these parables is that teaching about the kingdom of God, Jesus had a way of sort of progressively unveiling the revelation of that kingdom to his hearers. We've talked about that before. For instance, in the parable of the sower, which we've looked at together Not that long ago, we witnessed Jesus explaining the effect that the gospel, that is the message of the kingdom, has upon the different hearts of men. There are, of course, four types of soil in that parable. One, the first one, does not even pretend to look like the soil of the kingdom. The next two, at least on the surface for a time appear to be the good soil of the kingdom. However, eventually, under trial and under a little bit of scrutiny, they're revealed to be imposters, Bad soil dressed up like good soil. And of course, the fourth soil then is the true fertile soil of the kingdom of God, which being cultivated by God himself, always produces at least some measure of crop. Four types of soil, four different ways in which the gospel of Jesus Christ sort of infiltrates and affects the hearts of men. But really, all four are actually born out of only two types of hearts. The first three, ultimately, are all outside of the kingdom of God. Some most certainly look like good soil, but are always proved to be uncultivated. And barren when they do not produce the fruit of the kingdom of God. Only the good soil that is truly of the kingdom produces fruit. And that's how we can or how we are able to the extent that we can to recognize the real soil in this life. And it progresses as Jesus continues to teach these crowds. He builds upon the foundation that he's already laid down. He moves on then in verses 24 through 41 to the parable, another well-known parable of the wheat and the tares. Unfortunately, we don't have the time to unpack all of these this morning. So I'm just going to give you a brief summation here so that we can move on then to the parables that are really before us this morning. Jesus, once again in this parable, not only gives the crowd and the disciples the parable, but he gives them an explanation of it. So he tells them the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. We don't have to guess as to its meaning. He very clearly gives it to us in the text. And again, you see a progression here. The first parable dealt with the gospel in the hearts of men. The second parable then goes back to the good soil and explains what it will be like even for the good soil in this life. The Son of Man has planted the good seed, that is the true children of the kingdom, and our adversary the devil has come in and he's planted weeds side by side with the wheat in order to frustrate the growth and the maturity of Of the wheat. So we know that in this life, the wheat and the weeds will be growing together. Of course, it's a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. It is full of not only the true sons and daughters of the kingdom of God, but the sons and the daughters of their father, the devil, as well. Jesus says, It will be this way until the last day when he comes in with his reaping angels and he himself makes final separation the wheat from the weeds, throwing the weeds into the everlasting fire, gathering all of his wheat into his barn in glory. And really, it should give all of us here in the house of God this morning pause to consider the fact that, according to Jesus, not all who claim to be wheat are wheat. It's a sobering thing to consider, isn't it? Not all who profess faith in Almighty God truly are the children of God. There are those in the church, yes, in the church, even the church, that simply are wearing some very good-looking masks. For them, the kingdom of God is the ground of life's greatest masquerade. They play act. They are hypocrites in the very literal sense of that word. Play actors, playing a role. They look like the church They sound like the church. They even for a time appear to have just the beginning, the buds of fruit beginning to show up on their branches. But their fruit is wax. Because they are wearing masks. They are false. And time will ultimately prove them to be false. Jesus says that it will be that way until the day when he comes in with those reaping angels and he makes that final separation. Sending the wheat to glory and the weeds to the fires of hell. And both for eternity. It's a frightening thought, right? It really should cause us to slow down from the undeniable busyness of this life and consider our own lives and where it is that we stand and why we believe we stand there. Beloved, I'm not trying to uh, get in the way of anyone's assurance this morning. If anything, I'm trying to bolster it. And it's to the truth of, of the Word of God that we find the bolstering of that assurance. But I'm asking you, what serves as our assurance that we are indeed the legitimate children of the Most High God? What is it that is convincing us that we are indeed among the wheat and not the weeds? Jesus taught that the answer lies in the produce of your life. Lies and fruit, if there's any there at all. And understand, I'm not asking you this morning to consider how much you have done for God, how much you have done for the church, how much you have done for yourself in establishing your own reputation, your own righteousness. That's not fruit. I'm asking you about the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit we're talking about. Do you love? Do you actively love those whom the Lord in His wisdom has surrounded you with this morning? Are you you content in this life with something less than this? How about the others, right? It's not just love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness gentleness, self-control. What is the Holy Spirit? What has the Holy Spirit worked in your life that goes contrary to your flesh, that creates that war between your flesh and the Spirit? I'm not asking you if your flesh is perfect. In fact, I'm asking you, are you aware of just how imperfect your flesh is? Is there a battle? Is there a war? I hope you see what I'm getting at this morning. You see, wheat does not simply look like wheat, smell like wheat, feel like wheat. It is wheat. And when it is harvested to the glory of God, it's unmistakable. We see in these two parables a progression of revelation, a bigger, brighter, more vivid picture of the kingdom of God is unveiled as Jesus continues to teach in parables. One of the things we see common in all of them is that growing concept of separation. We've talked about that even in Mark. The parables themselves are doing the work of separation. The gospel does the work of separation. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's providing one listener with a deeper understanding while simultaneously driving another even further away. In the parable of the sower, we see a separation between the soils as they ultimately are revealed to be good soil and bad soil. We see the separation with the wheat and the weeds. And this idea of separation in the kingdom of God from the kingdom of this world is even further illuminated as Jesus teaches the last three parables of this 13th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew, and he shows his listeners. The great value of the kingdom of God over and against the gilded, shiny, trinket-laden, poverty-stricken kingdom of this fleeting and fast-fading world. So if you've not yet done so, I ask that you turn with me in your Bible to Matthew 13. I'd like you to follow along as I read. Again, I'll pick up with verse 41 and read through verse 51. 41 through 51. Hear now the word of our Lord. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to the shore. and They sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, Separate the wicked from among the just and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we have this morning to look to your word. We ask that your spirit would fill us, that you would clear our hearts and our minds of the many things that distract us in this world. And we would give our full attention to the beauty and the truth and the fullness of your word this morning. We pray, Father, that you would open our eyes and ears that seeing and hearing these things, we may be transformed more and more to live for your glory and your glory alone. And we ask it. In Jesus' name, amen. The parable of the wheat and the tares ends there with verse 43, where Jesus says that in the last days, the righteous will shine forth as the sun. The cloudiness and the haziness will be burned away as the full revelation of the glory of Almighty God is before His people. Beloved, it's a picture that ought to absolutely fill us with genuine excitement, with a tangible joy, as we stop this morning and we consider that great day. Do you do that? It's something that should chase those clouds of gloom and doom that often surround us in this life away as we consider what it will be like in that day when you and I will see things fully in all of their glory apart, completely apart from these prison houses of flesh. When we consider the full glory of God, that will continually be before us in the magnificence of heaven. Beloved, it should cause us to set aside the troubles and the worries and the fears of this life and fall down and worship Almighty God in eager anticipation of that day. It's one of the reasons, I, I don't normally go on asides, but... It's one of the reasons eschatology is so important to me. Because the eschatology that I originally learned uh, from the Bible, which was dispensational in nature, it sort of dreaded the day of the Lord. It looked as the day of the Lord as being that great thing that I had to live in absolute fear of. That's not our view of this day. The view of this day for us is this is it. This is the glorious return, the coming of our King in His fullness. The glorification of our flesh. Do you ever consider it? Beloved, I pray that we do. It's part of that full picture of what Almighty God has given to us in and through the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus has saved us now And though certainly that motivates us in the here and now to live as those who truly, by the grace of God, appreciate salvation in this life. It's really just another piece of the the glorious full picture of our salvation. We've not only been saved from something. We are being saved. We're saved from the just deserts of our sin. But we've been saved to something. Eternity. In the glory of heaven. In the presence of Almighty God. Eternity glorified standing in the presence of Jesus. Do you understand? It's one of those things that ought to fuel our worship each Lord's Day. It should fuel us to want like nothing else to lift our voices in praise and adoration of this God week after week after week. The idea that one day the worthless things of this world will have been removed from our sight as we get to spend eternity gazing upon him. Do you? He ends his explanation of the parable of the wheat and Tares with a note of hope that though in this life the weeds will be all around us in the glory of heaven, it will not be so. Heaven has no weeds. The true bride of Christ will be gathered and there will be rejoicing and celebrating as we stand in his presence. It comforts us, us, it comforts me about those who have gone before. Some of those we've loved so dearly from this congregation. To think of this for them, to think of what we ourselves have to anticipate, the glorified coming into the presence of true glory himself. Beloved, this is the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom is like. And to fully understand the next two parables, we must understand that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of glory like we have never seen on this side of heaven. Jesus says to his disciples, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man finds it, he he hid it. He hides it. And for the joy of it, he goes, he sells everything he has and he buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. And when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had. And he bought that one pearl. Both parables, at least on the surface, appear to be the same, right? They're both about a man finding his purpose, finding the thing in this life that he so desperately wants and forsaking everything else in order to obtain that thing. But there's a subtle difference, I think, between the two. They both reach the same conclusion, but they get to that conclusion in two very different ways, don't they? The man in the field finds a treasure and does not appear to even really have been looking for it. While the merchant of pearls has made it his life's work to go searching for the pearl. The pearl that once it is found will end the need of any further pearl searching man of the field, however, we're simply told, finds this treasure that was hidden in the field. Both are men who reach a point of crisis, and when they realize the value of the thing that is before them, they forsake all else in order to get it. Let me ask you something this morning. Can you relate with the man in the field? Do you relate to him? Think it through, right? This man sort of cruising through life. Thinking all is well. You're simply going to the field to do whatever it is that you do in the field and you stumble upon this treasure. You stumble upon the message of the Gospel. The treasure in the field. You were not looking for treasure. You were not necessarily looking for the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, maybe you weren't even a fan of any type of religion and you are confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and immediately you stand at a critical place in your life. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Familiar to your own experience? I can tell you it rings familiar with me. I've told my story enough times. I, I wasn't interested in any way, shape, or form in the things of God when I was 20 years old and newly married. I was perfectly content to stay the course that my life was on. I had my wife. I had friendships that I'd spent my life building up to to that point. I had a decent job. As far as I was concerned, I had everything I needed for happiness. I had everything I needed for fulfillment and contentment. I didn't need to go looking for anything. I've told you the story before. In fact, not only did I think that I was content, I'll be honest, I really had nothing even remotely like a soft spot in my heart. For those who called themselves Christians, I didn't like them. I thought they were all hypocrites. I thought they were all liars. And I really had very little desire or no desire to spend any of my time with any of them. The point being, I was not at all searching for God. And in a small cramped conference room in Indianapolis, I was confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time in my life. And I knew that things were not as they seem. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew I deserved nothing less than the most severe form of punishment that God could dream up for me. I was deserving of punishment worse than death. And as the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to the truth of my condition, He mercifully turned my eyes towards Christ who came and lived a perfectly righteous life for me, who spilled His precious blood and died so that an absolute wretch like me could have eternal life through faith in Him. And I want to tell you, in that moment, I was broken and sweetly comforted all at the same time. And suddenly the things that meant so much to me in this life could not compare with the treasure that now sat before me, my job, my friends. They didn't compare with what I had just witnessed in the gospel. My family, not at all religious types, not appreciative of religious types, including me at times, what would they think? They did not compare with the treasure that was before me in the gospel. My new wife, I'll never forget that feeling. The woman I loved with my whole heart, the woman I longed for my whole life, The woman I still love today, what's she going to think? She didn't marry me as a believer. She did not compare with the treasure that sat before me in the gospel of Jesus Christ. In that moment of my life, I wanted nothing more than the forgiveness of my sin through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I was ready, willing, and able to forsake everything in my life in order to have it. That's the effect that this message of the kingdom has upon the heart that has been tilled and prepared by the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. Everything else fades from view as you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith alone. It's the very power of God. The treasure that surpasses everything that you could hope for in this life. Beloved, my question is, do you see that? Have you seen it? Were you looking for it? And maybe that's not your situation. The second example is a little bit different, and maybe more of you can relate to this one than to the other. Maybe you cannot relate to the one who's confronted by the gospel of Jesus Christ while cruising through life, not looking for treasure, but nonetheless confronted with it. Maybe you're more like the merchant of pearls. I want to warn you, neither one of these is any better than the other. But they both exist. Both owe owe everything to grace and mercy and the providence of Almighty God. You see, the merchant is a little bit different in that he knows exactly what he's looking for. In fact, he's made it his life's work to get out there and to find it. He's been trained to know all about pearls. He recognizes the valueless in distinction from the valuable. And he's not simply a merchant muddling his way through life. He's said to be a seeker of beautiful pearls. He knows what he's looking for. He's not content with things that are less than beautiful, less than flawless. He is skillful in his trade. Maybe you relate to this man. Are you, were you a merchant of pearls? Trained in the ways of God? Trained in the faith? Taught to recognize the glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The message of the kingdom of God? Surrounded by the beauty of those who have also been seeking. Some of whom who have also found this pearl. You're surrounded by all the other merchants. Merchants. Well, if you are, Jesus Christ makes it clear that it's easy to distinguish the merchant of pearls that is content to spend his life with the other merchants, content with just some level of beauty and pearls, content with less than his quest is really all about from the one who knows exactly what it is that he's looking for and why it is that he ever joined up with the merchants in the first place. The first one is the one who finds comfort and solace in the fact, the mere fact, that he's a merchant. Perhaps even one with reputation of having an eye for pearls. The other knowing, the other knowing that What he's looking for exists. And when he finds it, he leaves everything for it. He does not find comfort in the fact that he's a mere merchant, even one of reputation. And when he finds what he's looking for, he leaves, he forsakes everything else in order to obtain it. You understand, beloved, the effect on both men is exactly the same. But they get to the treasure in different ways. But by the same means. It's the very spirit of God that gives one an eye for treasure, though he's not searching for it. And it is the very spirit of God that allows the merchant's eye to fall upon the pearl of great price, the pearl that ends all searching for pearls once and for all. Do you understand? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message of the kingdom of heaven. And when your eye has fallen upon it and the spirit of Almighty God has illuminated it in a way that your eye truly sees it and then your ears truly hear it, there is nothing else in all of life. It's in its own category. everything fades to the background and becomes exposed for what it really is, valueless in comparison with the treasure, the pearl. Jesus is telling the disciples that once the kingdom of God is revealed, those who belong to him, those who are truly his, will recognize its value will recognize its glory by the grace of Almighty God and they will be willing to forget everything else in order to run to it. And those who are not His, the weeds, they will cling to those other things that they hold much more dear. So I'm asking you to consider your own life. Certainly our minds go to the rich young ruler, right? But he knows that story. This young man sort of swaggers up to Jesus, completely sure of himself, completely sure that he had done everything necessary to have everything he wanted in this life. He says to Jesus Christ himself, I am blameless in the eyes of the law. He had it all. And now here was this gifted teacher who could confirm once and for all that he was indeed the real deal. And Jesus exposes his heart. He says to him, oh, you've kept the law. Good, that's good. That's good that you've kept the law your whole life. Now, you just need to go do one more thing. Go sell everything you have and then come and follow me. And we're told the man left with his arms hanging and his head hung. A hop missing from his step because he finally found something that he was not willing to do in order to have it all. I'm going to do, I'll do anything, I'll do everything except that. If there are things in your life that mean more to you than this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, friends, you have not realized the treasure or the inestimable value. That is before you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are not willing to forsake it, you are destined to be remembered as the one who, hey, he was with the merchants. He was known as a merchant. We liked him as a merchant, but as the one who ultimately never found what he was looking for. The one who died. Having the respect of all the pearl traders, but never found the pearl. Because when this pearl is seen by the truly discriminating eye, all thoughts of pearl trading fly away as your status changes from trader to owner of the pearl of inestimable value. See, beloved, we have to ask ourselves these questions What are we clinging to in this life? What do we hold as our highest value? it's anything other than the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ at the top and we have good reason to question whether or not we are not wheat but a weed that we're not the fertile soil but something else entirely Jesus said my sheep hear my voice what about you do you hear it or do you still cling to your stuff Maybe it's not riches that you cling to. You know enough. You've lived some life. You know enough to know riches will never totally satisfy. After all, you've been in the church for years and years. You've served. You've given up things. You're not clinging to something as superficial as money. What about your own righteousness? Do you truly embrace the gospel of the kingdom or do you still cling to your pathetic works dragging them along too willing to share the burden with whoever will listen you do not recognize the value of what is before you this morning I'm asking you beloved do you hear the word of God if the question that is on your heart this morning is does that mean I have to give up everything to be counted as worthy in the kingdom you've not yet laid your eyes on the treasure Nothing compares with the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not a burden to embrace the gospel, beloved, because as we sang this morning, it is a true fountain of joy and delight and every blessing. Isn't that what we were singing? And all your training to spot valuable pearls will be of no help if you forget why it was that you ever started looking for pearls in the first place. Nothing in this life compares to it. Nothing in this life competes with it. And so the separation continues. And Jesus, at the end of this chapter, tells them the parable of the the dragnet. And it sounds a lot like the wheat and the tares, doesn't it? But the message... The message should be terrifying if you're clinging to something other than faith alone in Jesus Christ alone because of the grace of Almighty God alone this morning to set you free, to satisfy, to be content in. The day that net is pulled up, the fishes are sorted out and some will be thrown with the good fish and some with the bad fish and Christ says they'll be separated Cast from among the just, the just into one end, the unjust into another, thrown into the furnace of fire. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not enough to be in the field. It's not enough to be a treasure seeker. It's not enough to be a merchant. The true members of the kingdom of God, having seen its far surpassing value, will always be willing to forsake it all. Everything they hold dear their opinions, their attitudes, their tradition, their stuff, forsake it all for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't say it any clearer than that. And those who do not will be exposed on the last day, no matter how good their mask is, and they will be tormented forever. Jesus ends this session asking his disciples, Have you understood these things? Of course, they all said, yes, Lord. I ask you today in closing, do you understand these things? Beloved, the beautiful thing here, and the reason I say I'm not here to take away that blessed assurance, is that if you see yourself lining up more with the weed and it bothers you. Jesus bids you come. The pearl is before you. It's yours, right? The way of salvation is still open in Jesus Christ and he bids you come. Beloved, if you're someone who has, It plays out in the way in which you live your life before the face of God. Far from perfect. But longing for the day of that perfection. Longing to be with your Savior. It changes the way you live this life before the face of Almighty God. So you have to ask yourself. You have to know for certain what it is that you place your trust in and why. And if it's less than Jesus, I invite you this morning to run to him because he is sufficient. He's more than you could ever need or dream.